Hello everyone, it's Aidan Lang here, General Director of Seattle Opera. You haven't heard from me talking about the turn of a screw, so I thought I'd express my thoughts on how it's gone so far. I think what struck me most of all, and especially in talking to audiences after the event at our talkbacks, has been how the enigma and mystery of the opera, which is, and indeed Henry James's novel, um, are carried on to the audiences of our performance. Um, normally, I think we like to feel a sense of closure at the end of a theatrical performance, but this piece, it's almost baked into it that it's up to every individual member of the audience to form their own conclusions as to what has happened, just as every reader of Henry James's novel ever since 1898 has done the same thing. And that is clearly happening. We've had some very interesting and opposing uh, opinions about what the audience had just witnessed at the performance. That's a fantastic thing, performing what's quite an English piece in its sensibility here in the States has provided some readings of a work which, as an Englishman myself, I've been fascinated to hear because there are things which may not necessarily have occurred to me. Other than the works of Benjamin Britten and some important contemporary composers, there aren't many English works in the operatic canon. And by English, I don't really mean English composers so much as works which express an English sensibility. On second thoughts, it's probably not surprising that this is the case because opera's great strength is the way that it wears its hearts on its sleeves. The characters express their emotions in, in very direct form. I love you, you know, I hate you, we will have vengeance, all that stuff. And it's a very un-English way of going about things. Um, uh, a lot in English society is unspoken, and it's the very antithesis of the stuff which makes opera. And I suppose the turn of a screw is within this mode as well. So much of his work is unspoken, that it's not the normal way of doing opera. And I think this, is, this mood is enhanced by the fact that Britain scored this piece for merely 13 players. So the crystalline and spare orchestral textures and, and the way that he, the instruments in the orchestra really shines as a soloist gives an overarching musical sense of, of um, a very sort of poised emotional landscape rather than, you know, the full-on nature of big romantic, lush scoring. Obviously, Britain wrote full length, uh, fully scored big operas as well. But The Turn of a Screw is very different, say, from Billy Bard or from, from Peter Grimes in this respect. This helps to emphasize the eerie uh, nature of the, of the location, this, this big country house called Bly. But I think it also helps this mood of mystery, not just uh, just in terms of, uh, of the ghost story, but mystery in terms of what really the characters are saying. What are their thoughts? Things are unspoken, uh, and the word comes up in, in, in the libretto. Being unspoken but understood is, is, in many ways, a very English characteristic. I think to a Brit, I think they see the social structure of the household, which we were used to seeing in Downton Abbey or in Upstairs Downstairs, those of you who have seen that. Namely, that there's a difference between the people who own the house and the people who work for them and the way that the governess sits in a kind of middle ground 
it's oddly, I, I asked the audience, who's in charge of this house? And um, no one actually came up with the right answers. Is, and that is that technically, the 10-year-old Miles, little Master Miles, as the male, is the most important member of this household, even though the production is set in, in 1940, just before the Blitz. Which is extraordinary, but this sense of, of deference to, um, you know, what, what can you say to the master of house if he's 10, if you're teaching him, and yet at the same time, uh, he is the nephew of the man who owns that house. There's this sort of social minefield going on, and that is expressed also in the character of Peter Quint, uh, who, of course, we only see his, his, his ghostly form rather than him in person, and we, we hear from the housekeeper, Mrs. Gross, we certainly have the implication that untoward things have happened while he was alive. La- the language which Henry James uses and Mervanry Piper, the librettist, takes from James and gives especially to Mrs. Gross is open to some interpretation. I think a lot of people latch on to the line which Mrs. Gross has of, of how Quint was free with everyone. word free, there's a frisson with it. It's clearly implied that Quint made Miss Jessel pregnant, which is why she had to go away. It's very easy to jump to the conclusion that when Mrs. Gross says that he was free with Miles, to assume that some sexual impropriety took place. But actually, in terms of the social setting, I think what Mrs. Gross is saying is that anyone of a lower status, the the valet who is now walking around the house, as we learn in the novel, in his master's clothes and acting as the master, this in, certainly in, in late 19th century, would be deemed to being free. In other words, breaking these levels of the implicit social structure to Mrs. Gross is taking a liberty. It's being free. Now, another interesting thing to look at is the difference of the way Mrs. Gross views Miss Jessel to that of the governess. Mrs. Gross is actually sympathetic to Miss Jessel. She obviously liked her. She was a lady, and the fact that she had to, she was brought down by Quint and had to leave the house, and then, as news has obviously reached them, that she, that she subsequently died is a, a source of great woe to her. And she a lady so in Act Two, when the governess encounters Miss Jessel in the schoolroom, we see a very, very different um, attitude. And I think it's worth remembering also that the governess is the daughter of a, of a parson, of a, of a priest in a, in a small village out of London. She would very much um, be tuned to the prevailing Victorian sensibility about a woman who is made pregnant out of wedlock. 
in a way, her, her attitude to Miss Jessel, the rather unsympathetic attitude to, to Miss Jessel, is not just governed by the fact that she sees her as a threat to Flora. But I think she, as an upright young woman trained you know, within the church, takes the prevailing Victorian attitude towards the fallen woman. In this respect, you can see in Miss Jessel exactly the same predicament that Violetta has, not through pregnancy, but through this the stigma of being involved in sexual activity out of wedlock. So, in short, things are, are a lot more complex within this piece than meets the eye, and certainly with maybe just one one viewing. Uh, there's there's a, quite a minefield uh, of um, of nuance uh, engendered by the use of language, by the fact that nothing is 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 made clear or explicit and of course the brilliance as we present this piece today rather than you know with our own our modern sensibility is that in exactly the way that Henry James and indeed uh, Britain's uh, viewers in in 1954 were invited to fill in the blanks and and form their own horror at what happened. So exactly the same thing prevails today. Nothing is prescribed, and I, I'm really pleased about the production, that it tries as best a production can do to not be specific about what happened, or forcing the viewer into an interpretation. Peter Gazaris, our, our director, has steered a, a beautiful line between uh, presenting the action on stage, but leaving enough suggestion for you, the audience, to make your own mind up. And that is the essence of the turn of a screw.